Welcome to the Become Who You Are podcast, a production of the John Paul II Renewal Center. I'm Jack Rickett, your host. Hey, thanks for joining me today. St. Catherine of Siena said that if you become who you are, that you would literally set the world on fire. And St. Athanasius, an early church father and the doctor of the church, said the Son of God became man so that we might become God. You know, I make a wild guess at this, but I bet you most of us are a bit disconnected from this divine life that these saints are pointing us to. Yet St. John Paul II said there's an echo of the story of this divine life that we're created for inscribed in each human heart, in your human heart. And if you put on the proper lens, if I put on the proper lens, we can get in touch with this echo within us in such a way that we have that aha moment. See, that's the genius of John, St. John Paul II's theology of the body. It connects our lived experience of life to the gospel in such a way that our life takes on a whole new meaning and helps us answer those big questions that our whole culture is so confused about today. Who am I? What's my purpose? Why were we created male and female? How do I find happiness here on earth? How do I find love that satisfies forever? Hey, glad you're with me. I'll be right back for today's episode. Today, I am so excited to be with Lou Irredondo, and he's going to be talking about the Eucharist, but through the lens of one of my favorite people of mentors, a mentor. He's a mentor to me. My favorite people of all time, Bishop Fulton Sheen. A little background on Luke. He's the director for the St. Philip Institute of Catechesis and Evangelization for the Diocese of Tyler, Texas. We have to talk about that a little bit because I reached out to him originally because I'm a big fan of his boss, uh, Bishop Strickland. He received his BA in philosophy at St. Joseph Seminary College in St. Benedict, Louisiana, his MA in theology at Notre Dame Seminary and his Ph.D. in religion, ethics, and philosophy from Florida State University. Prior to joining the St. Philip Institute, Luke served as a religious uh, religion teacher at Archbishop Shaw High School and as a director of religious education at Divine Mercy Parish in Kenner, Louisiana. Also the co-author of My Jesus, The Meaning of the Fatima Prayer. He's been a guest on EWTN, the Catholic channel on Sirius XM Radio, and has given retreats and parish missions in various parts of the country. His most important work, though, he said, is being a husband to his wife, uh, Elena, and father to their four daughters and one son. Thanks for having me, Jack. I'm a little jealous that you you work with Bishop uh, Bishop Strickland down in Tyler. Uh, how's he to work with? Is he a pretty good? Is he as is, is good of a person uh, to work for as, as he is a bishop? Yes. Yeah. Bishop Strickland is great. Um I, yeah, I was really blessed to uh, get the opportunity to come and work here. I'm the director of faith formation for the diocese. Uh, I, I was applying for a bunch of academic jobs because I was finishing my PhD. Um, and I was, you know, trying any Catholic university that had any kind of opening in religion, theology, something, you know, that I could kind of throw my, my hat in the ring. Uh, and then I also had this crazy idea. I told my wife, I said, look, I'm going to apply for all these jobs. And then I'm just going to write Bishop Strickland a letter and see if he might be willing to have me. And she kind of thought that was crazy. Um, and before I actually had time to execute that plan, they posted a job opening for director of faith formation. And I said, well, that's a really good sign. Maybe that wow. means something because I was already going to I was already going to reach out to him. And now they have a job I can apply for. Um, and it all worked out really great. So he's been very supportive. Uh, he's a really, really good man. Great pastor. Um, and I'm very happy to uh, to be here. 
Well, he's he's uh, he, congratulations on that position because he he's a light, a shining light in this country right now, maybe the world, you know, standing tall for our faith and just common sense. You know, you studied in the seminary for a while. Did, were you considering a priesthood? Is that originally? Yeah. Is that what you doing? Yeah, uh, you know, officially, I have to be, have been considering the priesthood to be in the seminary. Although, as I kind of look back on it now, I think, geez, why did they let me in the seminary so easily? I, I, I so what happened really is I was, I was studying trumpet performance. I wanted to be a trumpet player, and it was, it, it just really wasn't going great. And uh, I had been in in school for four years, and I, and I was told point blank by my trumpet professor, this isn't going to happen, man. You got, you got no future with this, you know. So you need Isn't to do something, something else. Wait, so you 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 were gonna be like in an orchestra or something? That, that what, I mean, yeah, that was like that was the goal. You know, I'm 18. Isn't I that something ridiculous idea that though of the four orchestra jobs in the country, I can get one of them. You know. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he, my trumpet professor told me this isn't going to work. You got to find some different plan and. I had been meeting kind of for, I guess, what would have been sort of a spiritual direction with the, with a monk in Tallahassee, a brother uh, from the Brotherhood of Hope, Brother Allen. And he sort of like told me, well, look, I mean, if you're looking to think really differently, here's a whole bunch of stuff that you could do that's just service oriented. Stop trying to figure out what you want to do and, and go serve other people. Um, so I had this list together of all these options that I could pursue other than school. And for various <laughs> reasons, nothing on the list would work out. It was like I wasn't qualified. It was too late. Uh, you know, whatever. Something was wrong with all of them. And then at the bottom of the list was, well, you could go to seminary. You know, that would be different. Unbelievable. <laughs> so I called the vocations director. How said, old How old were you then, Luke? Oh, I was like 21. Oh, okay. you know, um, I called the vocations director of my home diocese in Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi. And I said, if someone like you know, wanted to go to the seminary, um, you know, how, how would you, how would you do that? Cause I don't even know how that, that works. And he said, could you be here tomorrow? Um, so <laughs> isn't that wild. So, yeah. So I went to the seminary, um, and that was a really, it was a really profoundly good experience for me. Um, you know, I mean, I think that's a place where I was able to receive the kind of Christian formation that we hope everybody can receive just by growing up in the church. You know, it was really intense. It was very, very uh, serious work for those couple of years, the prayer life, the sacramental life, and then the study. Um, and, and, you know, in the long run, I did feel called to marriage. Actually, I read uh, Three to Get Married, Fulton oh, Sheen's yeah. book on marriage. I read that entire book in adoration. So it took me a while because I was just going to a holy hour every day and I'd read however much I could, 20 minutes or whatever. I'd pray. However long I could pray. And then when my mind started wandering, so, well, okay, I'll read this book. And I, and I read the whole book in, in the Adoration Chapel Great book, at the seminary the and decided, oh, I think that's where I'm being called. So I, you know, I, I did that. But I also, I, I discovered an aptitude and really a joy of studying. I mean, I, I went to college and I was studying trumpet, you know, and, and I mean, I put a lot of work into that, but I wasn't studying anything. You know, I wasn't <laughs> pounding the books and writing papers and learning uh, information. It was a skill. I, I was. I would to imagine, a, a, you know, a, a beer or two and a trumpet, you know, I mean, that, <laughs> that's a good way to go through college. You know, right? So yeah, getting to the seminary really made me, you know, and it really, I mean, it came, it came down to this, the Bishop is going to get my report card. So I thought mm. I better give him my absolute best effort here and not just kind of see, can I get a B? 
without trying too hard, you know? So I did, I read every assignment, took, took the schoolwork, the school portion of seminary very, very seriously. And, uh, you know, in the long run, I think I, I, I found maybe this is the, I didn't even really know that I could do that. You know I mean? I got good grades in high school, but it didn't take me any effort. So I didn't think, you know, Oh, I'm a, I'm a smart enough guy that I could get a PhD someday. Um, but, but going through seminary and really taking it seriously, I, I discovered, Another sort of gifts that the Lord had given me that I uh, really doesn't didn't really recognize was there. That happens, doesn't it? You know, we we discover these gifts because certain doors close, Luke, and certain other yeah. ones open. And you're you're, you know, whoever gave you that advice again, you know, hey, why don't you listen to the Lord and see what He's got in store for you? It's good. So so look at I don't want to you know go down that rabbit hole too <laughs> long, but but you had to lay a you know some some you know you had to lay a, a foundation of philosophy then and then and then theology so you you had quite a that from trumpet to philosophy and theology you have a creative spirit obviously right and 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 really uh philosophy always starts with awe and wonder doesn't it i mean you know if yeah. you can step into someone that teaches uh, philosophy properly i think he could you know they bring you into this world luke i mean we look around and we say hey we didn't create the universe you know we weren't the author of the story let me learn about it right what is the truth yeah. huh how should i live what is the truth you know so absolutely it's a beautiful thing isn't it and then you lay the, the theology on top of that and wow i'm excited for you so so your phd was yeah so my, my phd was in religion ethics and philosophy at, at florida state i wrote my dissertation, dissertation on leo the 13th. Said, yeah. you know i think everybody knows leo the 13th from rerum navarum and the social teaching angle um, I wanted to write a, um, a dissertation where I looked at other aspects of Leo XIII's papacy and the way that impacted the future developments of the church. So tell us a little bit about how you how, how you got to know Bishop Fulton Sheen. You were reading that book, yeah. obviously, in, in Eucharistic Adoration. Is that Was that your first kind of open door to him, or, or had you well, done some... So here's here's how I got into reading uh, Fulton Sheen and, and knowing who he was. Even I mean, I never heard of the guy. Um, I was in a seminary doing my philosophy degree um, in 2008. I finished that degree. And in the seminary where I was, at least, people tend to leave their doors open all day. Um, so it was very, you close your door at night, basically. And other than that, it's an open environment, open campus. Everybody trusted everybody. It was really, it was really neat in that way. Um, so there's this guy who's a priest now in the Diocese of Lafayette, Louisiana. His name is Father Neil Pettit. He had a stack of books on a desk by his door. And when I passed by his door, I could see that stack of books. Okay. And the book stack didn't move. He wasn't reading any of them, <laughs> which is no, <laughs> no slight against him, but it, there was a stack of books. And in there was a book called a priest is not his own. Mm, yeah. I've read Fulton it. Yeah. Sheen. Yeah. And I didn't know who Fulton Sheen was, but I walked by this book every day for a year. A priest is not his own. A priest is not his own. And I kept thinking, what in the world does that mean? A priest is not his own. And who is this Fulton Sheen guy? And literally just on a complete whim, I was going out of town for a week. Uh, a graduation was a week away. So they let the seniors finish their exams if you had any to take. And then you get a week before graduation. So we're going to go a trip for four days or something. Um, I'm on my way out the door to go to the beach for a week. And Father Neil Pettit, his door was open. He was just Neil. He wasn't ordained. Neil's door was open. The book was there. And I said, Neil, can I borrow this book? Cause I've just, I'm very curious about this book. And he was like, Oh yeah, I've heard it's a really good one. Yeah. I said, I'll, I'll read it at the beach and I'll bring it back to you. So I go to the beach and 
I read, you know, 10 pages of this book and I thought, oh my goodness, who is this? Who is this author? Mm. Who is this Fulton Sheen guy? It was beautiful. So then I, I had graduation and I went back to my parish in Mississippi, uh, went back home for, for a little bit before I went to my summer assignment. And my parish and had a library of like 25 books that you could check out. Very, very small. One of them was Fulton Sheen, Treasure and Clay, his biography. Oh, yeah. That's another so awesome book. I see another book by this Fulton Sheen guy. And so I got to read that. So I read that devoured it. It's amazing. Uh, then Life of Christ was another book that my parish had of the few books that were available. His Life of Christ is like, you can't get all the richness out of it. You, you can try, but there's always going to be more that you just didn't see or you don't recognize. And so I read these three major books of his, you know, mm. he wrote some 70 some odd books in his career. I mean, those are three of his absolute greatest books. Yes. Uh, and I said, I got to read everything this guy's written. I just got to well, anything I can get my hands on. So I was buying books on eBay for a while because they were all out of print. Um, yeah. And like, thankfully now they're, you know, a lot of them are, are being printed again in new editions. And so yeah, he's actually a lot more accessible than he used to be. Yeah. We're rediscovering it again. You know, I, I'm going to age myself a little bit, but when I was a kid, he, I used to watch him on television because he had, he had the number one rated show on television at he that did. time. Actually, Frank Sinatra, debuted a variety show the same year that Fulton Sheen started on television and Fulton Sheen got so many viewers that Frank Sinatra's show didn't last, didn't survive. So let's talk a bit. I'm going to, I'm going to let you talk a little bit about sure. Fulton Sheen in the Eucharist. Well, so when I, when I started reading about Fulton Sheen, um, you know, one of the things that just really, really hit me hard was uh, his own personal devotion to the Eucharist. Now, every priest has to have a devotion to the Eucharist. They've got to celebrate the Eucharist every day. You know, they have to say Mass. Um, but but he had a, a devotion that was was quite more, quite quite deeper than just his his minimum requirements. Right. Mm. Um, he made a promise uh, on on his ordination to the priesthood that he would begin to make a holy hour every day for the rest of his life. Um, and the, the second promise was that he would offer a mass for the Blessed Virgin Mary every Saturday of his priesthood. And he was faithful to both of those promises for the rest of his life. Wow. Um, so I actually kind of, uh, I did the math once on, you know, at a minimum of one hour a day from the date of his ordination till the date of his death, you know, how, many, how much time did he spend in, in adoration? Um, and it, it's, it's over two and a half years. Uh, so oh more, more than two and a half years of his life. It's like 2.6 years or something. Uh, he was in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament in prayer. And his dedication to that holy hour was not just a solitary thing. Uh, he, he began to take up the practice of spending a holy hour every day in adoration before the Blessed Sacrament. And he became an apostle for that by encouraging other people, particularly priests, but not only priests, to do the same thing. Um, and really for me, when I read that, I had been in seminary for two years before I heard this or knew who the guy was. Uh, I decided when I go, when I go back to the seminary, uh, I'm going to do that. They have adoration every day. They had adoration every day at the seminary, but it was at like 6 a.m. And I, for two years, never went a single time at 6 a.m. 
They had other adoration times for us in the evening, every, you know, once a month or whatever it was. And I would go, but there was like every day it's available at 6 a.m. And I'm like, I, you know, morning prayers at 730. I'm going to get up at 724, make it to morning prayer at 730. Like, I, you know, I'm not going to get up at six. Yes. Um, so I decided after that, after reading about Fulton Sheen's witness, that I'm going to try that. And I was able to, you know, by, by God's grace, I, I, I had the opportunity to do that for just one semester, you know, I stayed in the seminary one more semester. I had really not figured out, should I continue in the seminary? You know, I'm like, I finished my my philosophy degree. Now I'm going to theology. I don't really know if I should do that. Am I going to really become a priest? Like it sort of seemed like, I mean, I know I could be a priest. I can take these classes and I, and, and, and I know that if I do everything I'm supposed to do, they'll, I mean, I'm pretty sure they'll just ordain me. But like, is that what I'm supposed to do? I don't know. And I told my vocation director that. And he said, well, just, you know, just keep going. If It'll be clear to you if you shouldn't be a priest. Probably it'll be clear. So I decided I'd go to that holy hour every day and really pray about my vocation. Ask God, you got to tell me. You know, so I, I read about Fulton Sheen's witness, his devotion to the holy hour. And then I was able to do that for a few months of my life, do it every single day. And I don't know that I'm ever going to get a chance, you know, as a father of five children and, you know, working more than one job sometimes. I don't know that I'm going to find an occasion where I can do that every day again for, you know, for, for a long stretch of time. Yeah. So just having the opportunity to go to adoration every day for an hour for what it was maybe four months radically changed my life. And I mean, I, you know, I was in the seminary thinking, should I be ordained to, oh, no, definitely I should be getting married. Uh, and I should marry this woman. And, you know, uh, it, it set me on a course of like, this is what my life should be about. Fulton Sheen's witness to the holy hour, which he describes most beautifully in uh, Treasure and Clay. And actually, Ignatius Press makes that chapter. It's called the, the name of the chapter in the book is The Hour That Makes My Day. That chapter is available for free on, on Ignatius Insight. Like they purposefully let you read that entire chapter. Um, I, I, I assume because it's so powerful and such a, such a strong witness to what dedication to the Eucharist looks like and what it can do for, for us spiritually. And, you know, Fulton Sheen, great storyteller, and he just had great stories. I mean, he was always doing something exciting. Um, he was always, you know, meeting interesting people. He has very powerful stories about his own, like, difficulties with keeping the holy hour. So, you know, he was in Chicago once and he had to take an early train um, and he had to get permission from the pastor of whatever church he was near. Will you open up the church for me to do a holy hour at, you know, when I 3 a.m. or something? And the, the priest was like, I guess, you know, so he came and unlocked it. Let, you know, let him turn the lights on and, and you know, do his holy hour. But then the, the, the priest, I don't I don't know if he got bored or what happened. He he locked him in. He, oh. <laughs> he left and he locked the doors. And so he's got a train, Fulton's got a, Fulton Sheen has a train to take. Um, all He tries all the doors, they're all bolted shut, you know, they're, they're locked. So he finally props open a window and jumps out a window of the church and lands in a bin of coal. Oh, um, my <laughs> you know, gosh. He says, Lucky, luckily, you know, I'm, I'm wearing a black cassock. It's all right. I got coal <laughs> dust all over me. Climbs out of that and the, the housekeeper or the, uh, the, 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 the uh, janitor or someone saw him like jumping out a window, like, what are you doing? He's like, I got I to gotta catch a train. The pastor locked me in. Um, so he tells that story. Um, he also tells stories about, you know, 
he did fall asleep every now and then in his holy hour. And, and he would, you know, ask like, does that count? And the Lord would say like, <laughs> yeah, but just let's not make that, you know, make a habit of habit that. Out of that. Um, it, and, you know, one of the things that's the, the, to me is the most beautiful about, about the holy hour um, is that he, he has this discussion of how profoundly um, moving it would be, or, or sorry, how profound an impact it had on him even in those times when he felt like he wasn't getting anything out of it, right? So this, I think, if you tell someone, you should try going to adoration for an hour, it can be really easy for, for people to, to, to go sit down in the chapel, and within five minutes, you know, they're wondering where their keys are, if they paid their taxes last year, yes. you know, you know, all, all kinds of stuff yes. come to mind. And sometimes it may be not just mundane things like that, it might be things that are more, you know, sinful or, or temptations come flooding in and it's like hard to sit there for an hour. How do you get through a whole yeah. hour? Especially um, today, Luke, and we, we, we have a hard time calming our, our minds down, right? We, we're just not in silence. And I think absolutely just to interject here quickly, that, that's one of the reasons you should really do a holy hour. I mean, let yeah. your let your head and your brain and your heart, let it all kind of sink b- below the spirit of this age huh? and find a right. find a spot there. Um, so, so it is difficult for anybody that, that hasn't done a holy hour, uh, but just, just go through the process, like Luke said, and just be there. So, so tell us a little bit, what should they do if they start to, to, to wander, uh, just come back to the, you know, come back and, uh, you know, and focus again and, and it's going to continue to leave. Right. And, and, and don't, yeah. I don't, I think you, you can't get upset about that, Luke, I, because yeah. you're not there to get upset. You're there to continue right. to come back and over time. You know, it's like anything else, you know, over time. And I, and I don't think the Lord wants to make it su- super easy for you. You know, he's, no, yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we're in this together and, and he, he's yeah. not purposely making it hard, but he wants Luke and Jack and anybody listening today, he wants yeah. us to do our part. You know I mean? Look at, you know, God's not the, not going to just walk in there and do it all himself. We have willpower right. and, and we have self-will. We have reason. And, uh, and you know what, we're, we're part of the process, brother. I love that. You know, yeah. Hey, Jack, Luke, you guys are important too. Not, it's not just me come here and get to know me and let's go deeper and deeper and deeper over time. Yeah. I, I, I want to read just, uh, what, what's, uh, I think the most powerful quote from this chapter, um, about the Holy hour that, that really captures a lot of one of the things that's just made, you know, cause I, I used to. I know that adoration was available and I just didn't go. And I thought, you know, I, I don't know if I'm, you know, I, why I'm not sure what I would do for that whole hour. Um, and he describes in the chapters a bunch of things that, you know, there's a lot of theological things that he's trying to encourage people. But I just want to read this quote that, that just it's always stunning to me, even though I know what it says. So so he says this. So the holy hour, quite apart from all its positive spiritual benefits, kept my feet from wandering too far. Being tethered to the tabernacle, one's rope for finding other pastures is not so long. That dim tabernacle lamp, however pale and faint, had some mysterious luminosity to darken the brightness of bright lights. The holy hour became like an oxygen tank to revive the breath of the Holy Spirit in the midst of the foul and fetid atmosphere of the world. Even when it seemed so unprofitable, And lacking in spiritual intimacy, I still had the sensation of being at least like a dog at the master's door, ready in case he called me. Mm. 
And I've just always yeah, just yeah, savored, yeah. savored those lines because he's saying so many things all at once. So he's, he's recognizing, and this is part of the, the, the power of the, of this, of the, the book, the treasure and clay it's written the last year of his life. So he's toward the end and he kind of knows it. Um, and he's reflecting on kind of looking back on his life, reevaluating even his great success, particularly mm-hmm. his fame. You know, mm-hmm. one of the things that Fulton Sheen really, you can tell in that book, he looks back on his fame with sort of a, a new vision of like, what was I doing? You know, uh, I, I liked dressing well. I liked having a new Cadillac every year. And I liked it that people recognized me. And all that time, I was really, I was very prideful, you know. Mm-hmm. And then as he goes through his the later half of his life, and we, we don't have time to talk his whole biography, but after he goes off of television, he went through a lot of physical and spiritual suffering. And as he's looking back at that, and this is toward the end of the book, he can see kind of through the Eucharistic lens how important that holy hour was to just keeping him from going too far away. Mm-hmm. So that he's sort of saying, you know, it, it, it's sort of his way of saying, look, I did a holy hour every day, but that didn't make me a saint. But you know what it did is it kept me from getting too far away from God because every day I was committed to making that hour. And at the very least, I knew tomorrow I'm going to do a holy hour. Do I want to make a good decision here or, you know, be ashamed tomorrow in the presence of our Lord in that holy hour? Um, And then that last part of the quote, even if it seemed like this was a waste of my time, I got nothing out of it. At the very least, it's like being like a dog at the master's door ready in case he called me. And where where else should we be as Christians, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, that's beautiful. I loved I loved this analogy of the oxygen tank, you know, in the midst of this yeah. toxic world. You know, I wonder what he would say today. You know, I mean, you know, he he was <laughs> he had that prophetic voice, didn't he, Luke? I mean, yes, he, him and John Paul. And of course, uh, Sheen was, uh, you know, even, you know, I mean, they were contemporaries, but Sheen was a little bit older. And uh, and and, you know, they he, you know, John Paul had a you know, he he really loved. Bishop Sheen, you know, he he yeah. he really uh, talked about him very very highly, and they both had those prophetic voices, didn't they? And and they saw this coming, they saw this coming, yeah. and and yet it's gotten worse, it's gotten more toxic. I think that you know, there's a couple of different solutions uh, for this craziness, but I of this noise and and this darkness, and I think one of them you're onto it, you know, one of them is this holy hour, you know. Tell us, you know, let's just back up just a touch and and not to get away from what you're what you're describing right now. But when you were doing it for that semester, you mm. know, what what was that like for you? In other words, you said that it 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 was very it was profound in some ways. You know, yeah. what, could, what what could, look at this is an individual thing. You know, God, you know, you know, he 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 loves us collectively, but he woos us individually. You know, I mean, he, yeah. he loves Luke different than he loves Jack and Mary and Pete and and, and George and uh, Sarah. And and he's going to surprise us. So I'm not looking for a cookie cutter model, but can right. you describe some of the things that happen? Because we, I, I think, Luke, until you step, the, you know, I said earlier, we didn't create the universe. We weren't the author of the story. But until we step into the story, I don't think we'll ever really understand how powerful 
something like the Eucharist could be silence could be prayer can be, you know, people will say, I don't know. I tried this. I I said, you know what? You got to stick with it, brother, because at the end of the day, you know, you're going to find what you're looking for, you know, seek, knock, right. And and you're going to find it. And uh, so, so what did you find there, Luke? Well, for me, what I found is um, a a number of things. One of was one of which is I realized that, I mean, I'd been in seminary for two years and I still didn't really have a personal prayer life, Mm. you know, that, that that was actually mine coming from me. You know, I was trying to pray the liturgy of the hours every day, like I was supposed to, and I was going to mass basically every day, unless there was something weird going on. Um, and you know, I'm going to confession more and, and, and all those things, but I still hadn't done anything that was just freely chosen and, and, and that I committed to. And so committing to that holy hour every day, I mean, within a matter of a couple of weeks, it was like, wow, why have I never seriously tried to pray on a regular basis, completely of my own volition and it's, it, you know, why have I limited my, my, my attempts at prayer to be these shorter things or these other things that people are asking me do or asking me to do? Or why have I taken the position that, well, look, I prayed the hours today and I went to mass. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know, cause it, I mean, mm-hmm. a certain way that is pretty good. Yes, uh, yeah. Is. I prayed morning prayer. I did. I went to mass and we prayed the rosary before mass. And then I, you know, I did evening prayer, maybe did office readings or whatever. So I wasn't, I hadn't, you know, taken any oaths or anything. I hadn't made a, a promise, you know, in a, in a, like a vow to do, to do all of the hours. So I was taking things like that and going, well, that's pretty good. You know, and I wasn't asking, like, what more can I give the Lord or what more does he want to give me? Um, and really, as I as I started going to, to adoration every day, you know, I remember at first thinking, how do I get through a whole hour? How do I mean, on a whole hour of praying, that's hard, you know? And so I, I come <laughs> up with some, like, I, I can pray an act of contrition. I can pray a bunch. I can pray however many Hail Marys. I, I That just kind of started rudimentary, like, yeah. well, I know these prayers. I'll say all these prayers and we'll see how much time that gets us, you know? And then, and then um, I've got something to read, but as I, as I went, you know, deeper and, and continued with, with the practice longer, what I finally got to be able to do maybe the last month or so was say real prayers, really speak to the Lord, actually talk to him in my own words, tell him what's on my heart, you know, implore him, to help me see what I'm supposed to be called to. And you actually have a conversation with God. And then, and this was a thing that really took months to get to this point. Then I could just sit and listen and wait. Yes. Yes. And even if I didn't hear anything, which I'd say probably almost all the time, I didn't hear anything. I was actively sitting and waiting, just being with God. Yes. And, you know, we have a chance to do that in the liturgy. We have a chance in the mass to be with God. But outside of the liturgy, when you go to go to adoration, if you have a chance to go to a chapel that's open 24 hours, or if you can get an hour, it's just different. You're spending time with God. And to finally get to the point where that's all I want is just to be with God. I'm not trying to get anything out of it. That's like the first time, you know, one of the first times in my life where I realized 
geez, most of the time that I have ever tried to, you know, work on my prayer life, it, it was because I was trying to get something. Mm-hmm. And and that's okay. You can ask God for things. You can ask God for help. Like that's, you know, you're allowed to do that. But <laughs> what's a deeper form of love is to be with someone just because you want to be with them, right? And you know that of your children, of your wife, like, if we were only hanging out with our spouses or our kids when we needed them to do something for us, that's not a very good relationship. That's not a deep relationship. Um, so, well, going and that's that, a that's, that's a great analogy, Luke, because you, you, it's it's a joy, right? You know, love. This type of love that you're getting to now is a is a, is a joy in itself. This yeah. gift received, right? When when you know you, you think about this, you know, God is, you know, He loves you. He created you out of love. And he's pouring himself into you. And now you're really just returning that love, right? So once in a while, instead of asking, you finally get to the point where you asked for everything. And now you say, you know, Father, you know, Jesus, you know, the Holy Spirit, you know, our blessed mother, you know, I love you. I remember the first couple of times where I would just say, hey, you know, I I love you. And I thought, oh, man, that's so good. That feels yeah. so good. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and and so you have this, you know, this gift of self, right? That John Paul talks about. And then this, sure. you know, this, this power, right? Where uh, of love that you, you, you know, you, you, you love in a disinterested way, he'd say, you know, and disinterested yes. meaning I'm not interested in getting mm-hmm. anything back. And and those are very good times. Luke. Did, did you find sometimes I, I know that we don't always capture that in adoration or even in prayer, but there are those moments, maybe even maybe not long periods of time, those moments where you feel a deep inner peace, like, whoa, yeah, that feels good. I wish I could keep yeah. finding that place, you know? Yeah. And I, and I, more than that, I just felt that, you know, and I was, I had the, the schedule at the seminary was that this was at 6 a.m. So it was something that I had to, I had to go to sleep on time if I was going to be able to get up at 6 a.m. the next day, you know, and that, that, and that meant mostly not wasting time doing meaningless stuff late into the night, you know, not playing yeah. Super Nintendo for no reason until 1230 or one o'clock in the morning. Yeah, what a, what I mean, a good I didn't point. have, I didn't have a job. I didn't have pressing responsibilities. My whole life was you live here and you have to go to class. You have to go to mass and, you know, you should be trying to grow in holiness, but there's not, it's, in the seminary, there's actually not that many things that they make you do. You know, they make you do the bare minimum things, but they're trying to encourage you to do much more. So for me to just realize I'm going to go to adoration at 6 a.m., so I got to I got to order my life differently. I got I got to put the time. I got to get my things, my my life in order, so that in the evenings I'm not having to be up super late, so I can get up early. And then and then I was up early, and you know, classes until eight or whatever, and so I have more time in the mornings also. Um, and just my day was just so much more productive and productivity is not, shouldn't be your goal going to adoration. She shouldn't think that's going to make you more productive, but it really did for me, make me able to get more done and, and stay focused on like just the, the, the value, the economy of time, you know, we are, time is a limited resource. Time I mean, is we, limited, yeah. we waste it so much and, and to be able to, I mean, think about it this way, you know, uh, and this hurts, hurts me to think about too today where I, where I am, uh, you know, how much time do you, do you spend watching YouTube, Netflix, and, you know, sports, all the video content you watch in a week, you know, yeah. I'm sure for most Emails people, it's, and, oh it's far gosh. more than an hour, you know, oh, yeah. could you give an hour a week, yeah. you know, to, to adoration? Yeah. If, if you, if, if you're, if it's possible, 
you know, think of how much better a use that is of our time. Yeah, well, I mean, um, you you know, Luke with five children ends up with a PhD. The trumpet player ends up with a PhD, and 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 that becomes you know the fruit of that's uh, not the only fruit, but but some of the fruit of that discipline, right? And 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 you know, you, you make a life for yourself, and you look back and you say, "Wow, that was cool." I mean, you know, we we kept putting one foot in front of the other, right? And uh, and we came out on top. Hey, listen, brother, we're going to start to unwind. So tell us a little bit about uh, what else with, 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 with Sheen and the Eucharist, anything else come to mind and, 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 or, you know, we got maybe five minutes left or something. And what is the, what is the Eucharist, you know, through the eyes of, of Fulton Sheen? What does it mean to you, Luke? So one of the things that, that I see much more clearly now is that, you know, in the gift of the Eucharist, there's this really, I mean, it's this deeply mysterious, mystical you know, reciprocal giving that, that happens. So, you know, God and the catechism describes it this way, but it's sometimes it's hard to see it. Uh, God gives us creation and he gives us life and the gifts of that creation, the bread and the wine, right? We nourish, we give, we, we grow the, the, the wheat, we grow, we, we make the bread, we, we grow the grapes, we make the wine. And then we take that at the offering and give it to the priest, give it back to God. And he offers that bread and wine back to the creator. It's already a gift given to us. We, we cultivate it, give it back to God, give, give it to the priest. The priest gives it to God, and God gives us his body and blood, soul, and divinity through that gift. So it's like this like complete cycle of, of pouring out of self. God pours himself yes. out to us in creation. We pour ourselves into creation. We give the creation back to him. He gives us his son through that creation that has been transformed into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. So there's this total gift element, this, this nuptial gift mm, element, really, yeah, that you could is. say in the Eucharist, um, that is just really profound and, and, and beautiful in its simplicity, um, that these simple things of bread and wine can carry so much significance for us. Um, but the, the, the other thing that, and this, this goes back to, to something from, from Fulton Sheen, and this actually in his life of Christ in the opening, uh, one of the early few chapters in life of Christ, he talks about the incarnation and he says that, you know, nobody would have known where to look for our Lord when he was born um, because he wasn't born in one of the major cities. He wasn't born in a palace. You know, he's born in, um, you know, uh, born in a cave, essentially uh, there, there that nobody would know where to find him because divinity is always where you least expect to find it. Mm. And he, he has this beautiful meditation about like the, the, the way that Christ, you know, was so humble, the circumstances of his birth were so poor and nobody would have known because divinity is where you least expect to find it. And that's true in the incarnation. And it's also true in the Eucharist that, you know, no, nobody would expect that that's where God is going to pour himself out to us. Um, but he does. And, I love that. I, 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 let me just sit here for a second with that, Luke. That, yeah. That's really beautiful. You know, I, I, that connection between the simplicity of this birth, you know, I, you know, before Bethlehem where he was born, you know, they talked about Nazareth, uh, Nazareth as, as this backwater town, right? I mean, you know, uh, almost like way out in the edges where, where the Holy family was from, you know, and then, mm-hmm. And then the birth in, in Bethlehem. And like you said, the simplicity, it's going to be simplistic. You know, he's going to come back to us in, these, in, in, in the beauty of the sacraments of bread and wine. Like you said, in the simplicity yeah. of, of, of bread, of wine, 
And the beauty, uh, again, we're getting back to that, uh, that image that we were creating in adoration where, where you give something back. See, this is coming back full circle again, you know, where we're giving, again, the fruits of our labor. You know, again, it's creation that was given to us. You know, go yeah. and keep, keep until the garden so we get to do something with that. And then offer what we've already received, right? We've received this from God. Yeah. Now we offer some of it back. This is a love story, Luke, isn't it? It's a love story. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess one last thing I would say is that for me, that that experience of having the opportunity to go to adoration on a regular basis, you know, every day for those few months, one of the lasting benefits that that, that I have received from that is the ability now when I go to Mass when I receive the blessed sacrament to really actually commune with Christ. And that, that, that means, or what I mean by that is I can speak and pour out my heart to the Lord for those 30 seconds, minute and a half, two minutes, whatever it is, really, really truly enter into this, this, this self-giving, this, this complete disclosure of my heart and entrusting my own will into his will. Uh, I can do that at mass now really legitimately enter into a deep prayer and not just go receive Eucharist and come sit down and, you know, try and pray for a second because I had that such a good chance over those several months of developing a better habit of learning to open my heart to the Lord, learning to ask him to come into my life. So that now when I go to mass, it's, I get to have a moment of adoration. And that's, that's something that, that I think we should say too, is like going to adoration is not something that's in isolation from the rest of your life. In fact, it can help change the way the liturgy, the liturgy is supposed to give us that chance for adoration. Mm-hmm. I think just a lot of times we don't have that bigger, wider context for it. So when we get that, you know, little chance to give thanks to adore our Lord who we've just received, we kind of don't know what to do with it because we haven't, you know, we haven't trained ourselves. Hey, God bless you, Luke. Thank you so much. If somebody wants to book you for, you know, I, I know you're doing some uh, parish missions and stuff. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. People can find my email at stphilipinstitute.org. So it's Saint, ST, wait, okay. ST, Philip with one L, institute.org. And that's the St. Philip Institute's website. Um, you can find my email address on there. Yeah. And I would just add, that's a robust uh, website. That's a great website. Uh, you know, if you've heard about uh, Bishop Strickland, uh, you should, you know, just, you know, St. Philip really comes out of that, right? Uh, you yeah. know, out, out of, you know, his, his, uh, his wanting to teach, you know, it's a teaching diocese, you know, to yeah. inspire, to teach, to sanctify, huh? It's, it's a beautiful thing you got going down there. Hey, God bless right. you, Luke. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks no, everybody. Here, Jack. 